Hi friends, how are you? I hope you're having a great week. So I have a question for you. Who likes Gilmore Girls? Have you watched the show Gilmore Girls? It's a great chill show. And all three of my girls, I'm pretty sure all three of them, really like it. It's like a favorite when they're sick or just whenever they're bored. They've all seen it. I've seen it through like the all the seasons many times. I was just thinking about it because, well, monkey monkey underpants. That's why. Now, if you don't watch Gilmore Girls, you might be a little confused. Like, what? What are you talking about? I'll just say, why don't you zone out for a minute, wait for the music, and catch up with us. But if you've ever watched it, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm getting at. You know, just this whole train of thoughts that's fully going down rabbit trails ahead of you. Yep, that, that pretty much sums up my brain for the last 24 hours. Or maybe it's been longer. I'm not really sure. I've been too busy thinking and, and following the rabbit trail of my crazy thoughts that it made me think of monkey monkey underpants because it feels like that. But you know what? I think it's ended me up in a beautiful place. And that's what I want to share with you today. This is the Pause and Ponder podcast, episode 52. Yep, one year of pausing and pondering, which is just another way to say how I meditate on scripture until it becomes a part of me. Come join me in my process, and I hope by God's grace, God's word becomes a part of you, too. Okay, so today I just want to share with you my sort of, you know, own personal bizarre meditative style, which maybe you're used to by now, but that's what I'm going to do today. So I was journaling about some things that were making me sad. I know, weird, but remember the monkeys. It's just how my brain works. So I was journaling about it. I'd been to a funeral recently. Some other stuff was going on. So that's what I was doing. And I got to this point where I concluded in my journal, it's okay to be sad. That's what I wrote. It's okay to be sad. I just looked at that for a second. And maybe you just need to hear that today. It is okay to be sad. But then I wrote this, but I don't want to be sad anymore. I don't want to bury the sadness either. I want to turn my eyes on the eternal because I know that will bring real joy. So that was what I did. Then I just sort of sighed and closed my journal and opened my Bible. And I turned to 1 Peter 1, and I started reading. And I did a dead stop when I got to verse 6, because in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. So since I had just been talking about needing to, you know, turn my thoughts and uh, to things that bring joy, I paused and looked back at the few verses above it to see what it was referring to. What is supposed to bring us great joy? And I made a list. I'll just read you the whole passage I'm talking about so you know what I'm talking about. So mainly, try to keep it short here so you don't get lost in all the words. Um, mainly, it's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, which says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time. And then verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. So that's the passage. All right, let me tell you the list. Here's the list of what he says, in this you should greatly rejoice. In this is God's mercy, God making us born again. We're to greatly rejoice that we have a living hope, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We're to rejoice that that inheritance is guarded by faith and that our salvation will be revealed later, as in when we get to heaven in the last days. So those are the things we're supposed to rejoice in. So my first rabbit trail in looking at those verses was, you know, summarizing it by just saying this is the gospel. The gospel should bring us joy, even as believers, even after knowing Jesus for 30 plus years, 40 plus years, 10 years, 5 years, even then we should rejoice still in the gospel, the mercy of God that he has made us born again. And so I kind of went down that rabbit trail because I just talked to Kate recently about um, the importance of the gospel to us as believers because she was going to teach on that with navigators. So we had been chatting about it. And I think since I've been chatting with her about it, I decided to do that for Super Sunday, just this past Sunday. And what I decided to do was to to make the entire lesson sharing the gospel with that idea that even the kids who are saved need to hear the gospel again. It shouldn't just be the afterthought that I throw on in three sentences at the end of the lesson. That week, it needed to be the whole lesson. So actually, what I did with them was um, the wordless book. If you've ever heard of that, it's that also like the gospel bead bracelet. It's using the colors to take you through the whole gospel story. Except I didn't use a book or beads. I used balloons so we could play balloon games with each color, you know, be crazy. So that's what I did for Super Sunday. If you're wondering what Super Sunday is, that's uh, something I do at church where I have all the kids together. So it's like, like a large group event. But anyway, so I planned that Sunday school lesson also on the idea that, hey, some of them have not received the gospel, and the ones who have, they still need to hear it again. I still need to hear it again. And this passage in First Peter brought that home again, that not only do I need to hear it again, it should bring me joy. It should bring me joy every time I hear the gospel. That's kind of cool. And it was Tozer who said, I need to hear the gospel every day because every day I forget. But that was just one rabbit trail that I went down, and it's not even the one I want to talk about today. Okay, so next rapid trail. This passage is clearly talking about heaven, and it made me think, how much do I think about heaven? How much do you think about heaven? You know, I have to admit, I don't really think about it that much. Even when someone's died, I'll be like, oh yeah, I know they're in heaven, I'm grateful they're in heaven, heaven's awesome. But I don't really spend that much time. I wouldn't say that I necessarily greatly rejoice or find joy in just pondering heaven. I think I have so much gratitude for what God does for me right here on earth and what he's already done that I don't think about what's to come that much. But I have to admit that's kind of short-sighted and maybe even just a little pragmatic, which is not good. I think I need to think about heaven more. Reading this passage the other day whenever I started on all these rabbit trails of thought, it really made me think about how heaven should be a source of my joy, a subject of my praise, 
a way of turning sadness into joy. Just thinking about heaven. It actually sounds just like what I need. So as I was reading this, I zoomed in on that one phrase. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, we could just look at inheritance, like why did God choose the word inheritance to describe eternal life? That's one rabbit trail. There's all kinds of examples of inheritance in the Old Testament, like inheriting, you know, land or stuff. And who is the person who inherits? Usually it's the oldest son, definitely family. So inheritance is reserved for God's family. But what I want to look at is how the inheritance, specifically in this passage, eternal life, is what God gives us. Imagine your Aunt Myrtle dies, and the lawyer calls and says, we're going to read the will, and your name is listed, so can you come in next Tuesday? So you go and sit in his stuffy office, and he starts reading, and then he says, okay, here's the part where your name is. This is what was left to you when your aunt died. Would you pay attention? Would you want to know what she left you? Well, this is what is left to you when your Savior died. An inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept or guarded in heaven for you. So, as I thought, you know, I need to think about heaven more. It's going to bring me joy and all of those good things. I thought, okay, I'll look at these three words. And that's, this is, I'm finally getting to the point. So I sat with these three words and just, you know, spent some time looking them up and learning about them. Imperishable undefiled, and unfading. Three words to describe our inheritance. At first glance, it can seem like it's just three words sort of saying the same thing, but they each actually mean something a little different. They're different nuances of what heaven is. The first thing I noticed was that they all describe what it is not. It's not perishable. It doesn't perish. It's not defiled, and it's not fading. So that's kind of interesting that what God has for us is so awesome, we can't even describe it. We can just tell you what it isn't. And these words are super cool. I'm going to tell you briefly about the first two, but I actually want to spend most of my time on the huge hours-long rabbit trail I went on that third word, unfading. Okay, but first, the first two words. The first word is imperishable or incorruptible. So it means this, not liable to corruption or decay. It doesn't decay. Immortal. Um, it's a word used to describe the risen, those who have resurrected from the dead. Cannot be corrupted, and it cannot be enjoyed by those who are corrupted. I thought that was interesting. So it can't decay. Think of how many things in life decay. Our inheritance cannot decay. The next word was undefiled. So not defiled, not soiled. Without defect. Pure. And some of the ways this was described, it made me think of um, a phrase that my old church used in a prayer, singleness of heart. To have that singleness of heart, that purity of motive or purpose, completely focused, a unity of purpose. It's not going all over the place in our mind, like, like I was saying my mind was doing, but a purity and a direction that cannot be defiled. So that kind of makes me think of heaven and how, you know, God's going to have purposes for us there. We're not going to be distracted from those purposes at all. 
we're going to have singleness of heart with nothing that would take us away from exactly what God wants us to do. That's kind of cool. So imperishable and undefiled. And then unfading, not fading away, which obviously means um, it doesn't fade. It retains its color. One way to describe these three words, somebody did, was imperishable, can't die, undefiled, can't be corrupted or broken, and unfading, can never lose its value. So three different ways to say it doesn't change, but three distinctions in how it doesn't change. And this was my favorite, probably because I was thinking of that verse in Second Peter that talks about unfading beauty, you know, being the inner beauty instead of outer beauty, even though that is a different word in the Greek. But maybe also because it said it means it does not fade away, it lasts. And that made me think of, you know, don't drift away, you know, standing firm the unchangingness of standing firm and staying so much the same that the color doesn't even fade. That's how unchanging it is. That's steadfast. That's unfading. If you remember some of my early episodes, I love the whole theme of being steadfast, of, of not giving up. You could go back to episodes three, four, and five if you want to hear about that again. And that seemed familiar, this unfading, except here it's describing our inheritance, what we have in our living hope, Jesus, and it's a quality of heaven. Heaven hasn't changed. It's as amazing as when Isaiah and Ezekiel and John saw it and fell on their faces or couldn't speak. Heaven is just as majestic and pure and full of God's power now as it was then, and still is involved in our world today as when Abraham or Moses lived or Peter and Paul. Heaven is unfading. What God has for me as an inheritance, what I receive because of the death of Christ, is just as vibrant, powerful, and intimate as what Paul and Peter and Philip received. As Peter put it, we have a like faith, a similar faith, as they did. Unfading. Perhaps Peter used these three adjectives to encourage us, you know, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. To remind us, it's not always going to be this way. Our experiences in life are full of things that decay, that are corrupted, or just fade and change. But hey guys, it won't always be like that. Now that's an encouragement. Another way these three words are described by some other guy were this. This inheritance is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. I like that. But I also liked it for a different reason. Here's my final rabbit trail I was, as I was reading about this phrase, because this, it, it's actually a phrase for unfading. I found out that the Greek word for unfading comes from the word for a specific flower, and it's the amaranth flower. Did everyone know this but me? Because I never remember hearing this before. And I thought it was so cool. I don't know a lot about flowers, so I looked it up. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I think I am. I looked up how to pronounce it. And it looks like a long stalk with tons of flowers on it, like little tiny flowers. And most of the time, it looks like they sort of droop over. You know, I honestly, I don't think it's really the prettiest flower. But I tried to learn everything I could about this flower because we get the word unfading from it. And I think that's pretty cool. 
so let me tell you what I learned about it. Amaranth flower. A flower so called because it never withers or fades, and when it is plucked off it revives with water. It's a symbol, a Greek symbol of perpetuity, perpetuity and immortality, fadeless. It is uh, actually edible, although I'm not recommending you do that. You can eat the leaves and the seeds. The seeds can be ground up and made into like a kind of a flour, or you could actually eat it sort of like a grain cereal. And the leaves, the leaves um, are similar to like spinach. There are around 70 different species of amaranth. And here are some of the common names, because maybe you'll know it from this. Love Lies Bleeding, that's one of the names, because the, the flowers are usually purple or red. Most of the pictures I saw, they were red. And it looks kind of like, you know, like this drooping stalk. So one of the common names is Love Lies Bleeding, or Tassel Flower, or Princess Feather, Joseph's Coat, Tampala, randomly, don't know why, or Pigweed. So if you're familiar with any of those, that's the same flower. Some are only, some varieties are only six inches tall, but others, and most of the pictures I saw, it's like a bush that's eight feet tall and about three feet wide with these huge flowers on it. Here's another interesting thing about the flower that's known for being unfading. It reseeds itself liberally. So some people think of it as a weed, that it just reproduces. A flower that's unfading can reproduce. In ancient Greece, this flower was also thought to have healing powers so they used it to decorate images um, of, the, of their gods. And it's written about in poetry a lot, which I'm going to talk about in a second. And one other interesting thing that I read about it was they put it this way. When it is cut, it does not lose its color. So even though cut, it fades not, which I was thinking of how, you know, um, the Bible describes Jesus as cut down. Sometimes they talk about him dying that way, cut down, um, and to not, you know, to not change, to not even fade, even after being cut. That is the amaranth flower, which is pretty cool. But it also, because it's, you know, like from Greek mythology, the amaranth flower is mentioned in literature quite a bit. In fact, Probably the reason the Greeks uh, refer to it that way is because of a poem by Aesop. I told you I went down huge rabbit trails with this, and which took several hours. But I thought it was interesting. So here's the poem by Aesop, by Aesop, you know, like Aesop's fables, about the amaranth flower. A rose and an amaranth blossomed side by side in a garden. And the amaranth said to her neighbor, How I envy you your beauty and your sweet scent. No wonder you are such a universal favorite. But the rose replied with a shade of sadness in her voice. Ah, my dear friend, I bloom but for a time. My petals soon wither and fall, and then I die. But your flowers never fade, even if they are cut, for they are everlasting. And I won't quote that one to you. And then, this is kind of funny, it was also mentioned in another poem by Shelley, uh, not the one who wrote Frankenstein, but her husband, Percy Shelley, in a poem called Rosalind and Helen. Have any of you ever read that? Maybe if you grew up with a classical education, you read that. It is a poem of over 1,300 lines. And yes, I found it online and read the entire thing. It's a little bizarre, but they mention, am they mention amaranth flowers at the end. But it was interesting. It was totally off topic, but interesting. So yeah, I read all of those. 
and just thought it was interesting to think about this amaranth flower and how the word unfading can be. You could look at an amaranth flower and think of all of these things of what heaven is. And like, I'd never known that before. So I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, as I just thought about this passage again, which let me read it to you one more time, since I've kind of wandered all over the place. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, here's the part I really focused on, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then the thing that made me stop. In this, you greatly rejoice. In this, you greatly rejoice. And you know, and he goes on to say, even though now you're experiencing trials. And as I was thinking about it, obviously for a very long time, I think Peter really wrote this to the, these suffering people who were going through persecution and had all kinds of problems. You know, the letter is written to those in the dispersia, which means they've been... Um, set, they can't live where they were living. They had to spread out and live somewhere else. And what a great way to talk to people who have had to leave everything behind, but to say you have an inheritance. Very likely, many of them had had to leave a physical inheritance behind when they had to run from Rome or wherever they had to flee their persecution. And he's saying, hey, you left it all behind, but you still have an inheritance. And this is the inheritance God has for you. That's cool. You know, they had lost everything, and so much had changed for them. And that can be true for a lot of people today, too, that there have been a lot of changes. There, have been a, there has certainly been a lot of loss. And Peter's reminding us, too, even now, rejoice in what has not changed. Maybe even keeping this little flower, the amaranth, in front of you and remembering what has not changed, what is unfading. Even the color of it, the, the depth of the hue does not change of God's love for you, that he is with you, that he has a purpose for you. And heaven, heaven hasn't changed. God's still reigning. He has a place for you there. And even when everything else has been turned upside down, this hasn't changed. And in that, we greatly rejoice. So there you have it. This idea of unfading can now conjure up for all of us this image of the amaranth flower. So I'm going to continue on my weird rant here. I went through my day after spending all of these this time on rabbit trails, reading different poetry and things online. And you know what happened? It's kind of weird. But I just kept whispering under my breath, amaranth, amaranth. And I was just meditating on this inheritance that is unfading, just thinking about how God doesn't change, how he feels about me, what he wants to do with me and in me, what he's prepared for me. Not only does it not change, it doesn't even fade, just like an amaranth. And just saying it, amaranth, made me smile. I know, I'm weird, but it's kind of cool. And... Well, I'm even weirder than that because I guess since I read all of those poems, I really wanted to write a poem. 
It was like that need to worship was wanting to be expressed in a poem, which probably sounds really weird, but I actually talked about this back in episode 21 with my daughter Kate, this uh, when there is a need to create to express your worship fully. And I was remembering how we had talked about it and like saying, this is something we should all do, right? So now here I am thinking, I just want to write a poem. Like Aesop just didn't do it for me. And certainly Shelley didn't. I, I want a poem to express this amaranth and the unfading quality of God. So I actually did. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear my poem? I feel like it's not really finished yet, even though I spent a ridiculous amount of time sitting here writing this poem, but I guess I'll share it with you anyway. Now I'm debating if I should name it Our Inheritance or In This We Greatly Rejoice. I haven't decided the title yet fully because, you know, of the passage, but I'll just stick with Our Inheritance for now. All right, here we go. Here's my poem. Our inheritance. When waves of change and loss so toss me, like a small ship upon the sea, I whisper amaranth and pray, trusting his ground is firm beneath my feet. When my bones ache and it's hard to focus, and I wonder where my strength is gone, I whisper amaranth and smile, knowing the grass withers, but the soul is young and strong. When days are wasted and dreams escape my grasp, with wheels spinning in mediocrity, I whisper amaranth and breathe, believing there is a holy purpose I cannot see. No, not the rose, nor any such, will I strive to recall. Wilting and waning as they do, their beauty is short-lived. Like all that's done by man alone, false hope is all they give. Only the unassuming amaranth, though cut, has a beauty called unfading. I whisper amaranth alone, secure in a hope unchanging. And that's it. That's my poem. I hope it made sense. I don't know. It's still a work in progress. But for me, it is my method of rejoicing greatly in the inheritance we have, the salvation we have in rejoicing in the gospel, the truth that God has saved us and that what he has done for us is imperishable, undefiled, and unchanging. Thanks for joining me. And I pray that no matter what is changing in the world, that you and I will both rejoice in the unfading love of God, who he is, and all that he has for us. Till next time.